Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Andrews. And I'm Nick Andrews. So we said last week at the end of the episode that it was Jake and TBD. Turns out that TBD is Nick, but Jake is not here this week. It's just it's just me and Nick. Sam, I know you're going to be looking forward to listening to this episode. Uh, we're hitting you with episode 11, looking ahead to week 10 course recapping week nine uh just first looking back at last week's matchup predictions jake and i have started to turn it around we both went four and two if you'll remember we had all the same picks so decent week from jake and i to kind of get on the upswing here nick's probably going to dominate since the guest record has been impeccable all season but let's get into it nick uh two big takeaways from week nine hit me with your first my first big takeaway is that uh, rookie pitchers this past week either smashed or crashed on the mound. And so going through some of the big names that were in starting lineups, I think all these guys were in starting lineups. You had your boy, Spencer Strider. Um, I'm just going to rattle off how many like fantasy points he actually earned in their start. Spencer Strider earned 25 points in his start. Uh, Edward Cabrera. He said the man. My man. <laughs> My man. <laughs> Yeah, Edward Cabrera, he had one up, one down. He had one start year in 20 and a half points and one start he had negative 12. Mackenzie Gore crashed this week. He had a negative 16 outing. Aaron Ashby had another or had a bad outing, negative 15. George Kirby had a just a plunker, just plus six. Shane Baz had a stinker, negative 12. Um, Jerwin's guy, Graham Ashcraft, had one real nice start, plus 24. Guy kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and then he had one bad start, negative one. And then uh, Hunter Green had himself a week. Those were the guys that uh, that I noted of like the top rookie pitchers, how they did this week. They either, they either smashed or they crashed. Yeah, two names that jump out to me that I can somewhat excuse. Or I should say just one. Or yeah, two names. One is Edward Cabrera. I know he had this, that second start where he got negative 12 today against the Astros. The Astros are a top six offense if we're going by weighted runs created plus that's I don't want to say I excuse it but it's definitely a tough matchup for a rookie and then the other one is Shane Baz who's coming off of an injury where I think he had loose bodies removed from his elbow he had a great rehab start but obviously first time he's pitched in the majors since last year going against a super hot Minnesota Twins offense uh we're actually going to talk about them with my first takeaway which is that there's a new sheriff in the AL Central. So in years past, fantasy industry has typically liked Chicago White Sox and Cleveland Guardian pitchers because the rest of the division in the AL Central, which is the Minnesota Twins, Kansas City Royals, and Detroit Tigers, have been notably weak. This year, however, the Minnesota Twins offense, and this is the only reason why I looked into them is because of the week that they just had, but they're tied for second best in baseball. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that. I'd be shocked if anybody else knew that off the top of their head. That's going on weighted runs created plus. They have a cumulative team 115 WRC plus. To me, this means not only are they, you know, a dangerous matchup to run a pitcher out against. You know, we saw this past week they destroyed Tyone, Nestor Cortez, Garrett Cole, Drew Rasmussen, Shane Baz. 
but this actually provides a bump in value to Twins pitchers like Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, and any other fantasy relevant Twins pitchers, you know, due to the wins potential. So definitely a team to kind of be on the lookout for. Nick, what's your second big takeaway? My second big takeaway also has to has to do with starting pitchers, and that's injuries are starting to take a toll on starting pitchers. I mean, just this past week alone, some serious, some not so serious, some big names, some not so big names. I'm just going to rattle off the names that were affected due to injury this past week. I know you're going to get into more of the injury stuff, the details of it later. Um, but those that were affected, you have Walker Bueller, Nathan Uvalde, Michael Kopech, Mike Clevenger, Alex Cobb. I think Clevenger is actually an illness, but I just added him on here. Sure. Alex Cobb. Um, yeah, Brandon Woodruff kind of having a delay in things with what he's dealing with. And then Jacob Junis, Marcus Stroman, Pablo Lopez. Um, with Lopez, it might just be nothing, but it was something that, you know, causes you to worry getting a comeback. Shorten his start. That. Yeah. What's that? It shortened his start. He had to come yeah. out of the game. He was pitching really well. But you have all these pitchers that, I mean, they're getting hit uh, with the injury bug all this week. So that was my second big takeaway. Yeah, my second big takeaway is that the deadline came early this year. I kept thinking of like, you know, the phrase Christmas comes early. The deadline came early for us this year with the incredible amount of buyer-seller trades that have transpired just over the past two weeks. I put together a tiered list, and, you know, this is a little bit subjective, but just in my opinion, a tiered list of the remaining available players from our, our three clearly selling teams, which I think at this point we can safely say are Mike, Scott, and Brendan, Obviously, Jerwin a little bit on the fence, a little bit unknown what, you know, the exact direction that he's taking his team in. So just limited it to Scott, uh, Mike, and Brendan's teams here. So the elite or near elite tier, I just have two players left available across these three rosters, and that's Fernando Tatis Jr., who, again, very subjective because we know the caliber player he is when he's fully healthy, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that he will come back fully healthy. We, we don't know yet. The second guy I have is Nolan Arenado on Scott's team. So just those two in the elite or near elite tier, Fernando Tatis Jr., Nolan Arenado. In the good tier, a few more names. We have JT Real Muto from Scott's team. Again, a little bit subjective. He's having a bit of a down year. Teoscar Hernandez, same thing. Having a little bit of a down year, but you know has a pretty good track record. Jose Barrios, the story is the same. Miles Michaelis. Also Scott's player, but he's having a really good year. Ryan Presley from Scott's team, and then Jeff McNeil from Brendan's team. And then in what I call the depth tier, the third tier of this list, guys that you're not necessarily trying to go after but might be solid throw-ins to a deal depending on what your trade is looking like. I have Brandon Nimmo from Mike's team, Corey Kluber from Mike's team, Noah Syndergaard from Mike's team, Austin Meadows and Jeremy Pena from Brendan's team, as well as Andrew Heaney from that team as well. Nick, any names from this, these three tiers that jump out at you that you're like, you know, in a vacuum, let's, let's say everybody's team needs are equal that you're like, I really want to get that guy. Uh, I, I would want to say Nolan Arenado just because third base you either have it or you don't. And it seems like there's really just, you have your top, oh, really you have your, your guy, Jose Ramirez is just on a planet of his own. And then you have Devers and Machado, I think are both uh, averaging right around three and a half points a game. They're in their own tier. 
And then Nolan Arenado is about a half point behind them. I was looking at it earlier. That's why these numbers are on my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there's a big drop off off of that. So I want to say Arenado, though, he's not like, I don't think he's going to be a league winner. I don't think he's going to be a, a big difference maker, but he'll be a difference maker enough for some of those tighter matchups down the road. I think he's worth taking a shot going to get. So he's the one that jumps out to me. Yeah, and I might be showing my hand a little bit here, and it may just be specific to my own team's needs with my outfield being a little bit weaker than I prefer. But I think an under-the-radar name here that I like is Teoscar Hernandez. He's having That's my boy. He's starting to bounce back. You know, he's he's been bad for longer than he's been good so far this season, but the good has come lately, and you like to see that. So there's a handful of names. Um but it just goes to show that there have been a lot of trades for this to be all that there is left. Of, of course, that's only until or unless someone else decides to fully sell. That could be Jerwin. That could be Eddie. I guess it could be, you know, maybe somebody else in the East Division that decides that they're not fit to be in the playoff race anymore. But that's actually a pretty good segue into the top three standings update. There's a little bit of a shakeup in the East Division. So in third place, Jake has been a staple in this top three standings update, but JC has actually jumped him now with a 10-8 and record. Jake took a tough 0-2 loss to Courtney this week. He just came in under the median by, I want to say, five or six points. JC was actually the, the guy that beat him for that final league median win, and JC got the head-to-head win. So that meant that JC went 2-0, and Jake went 0-2, and JC has more more points scored on the season than him. So JC slides in at third place in the East Division. Top two are the same. Weak pullout hitter in second place with a record of 10-8, and eight, just like JC. Nick, you're putting some distance between yourself and the rest of the division. Freedom All-Stars with a 14-4 and four record. On the West side, it's looking like the division isn't as weak as maybe we thought at the very beginning of the season because the third and the second place team actually have better records than the second and third place teams in the East division. That's Courtney's team, team C Deemer with an 11 and seven record in third place. My team demons in the infield with the same record. And then in first place, the walk Institute of research with the same record as yours, Nick 14 and four. So at least at the very top, it is looking like the West division is actually a little bit stronger or at the very worst, just as strong is the East Division. It's been pretty interesting to watch this kind of interdivision portion of the season. I think it's a middle third kind of play out. I thought, I guess we all thought that the East Division would kind of dominate. It doesn't seem that that's been the case so far. Any comments to add, Nick? No, pretty accurate. All right. Well, that brings us to portion of the podcast where we're going to break down trades that have happened since last week's episode. And man, I thought we had a lot of lot to talk about, a lot of big trades to talk about during last week's episode. We got just as much action, action, just as much heavy hitting action this week as was on last week's episode. So let's get into it. Nick, I'm going to try to let you take lead on trades where I was involved. I'll do the same for this first one where you were involved. And then, of <laughs> course, we can comment together on the ones that we were not involved in. So the first one was little, kind of just busted or, you know, shook things up at the beginning of the week, got the juices flowing. You gave up Dan to be Swanson and got from Brendan Blake Snell. I'll just let you quickly comment on 
I guess what you were what you were thinking with this one. Yeah, I think I told you before it happened that I was in the works with Brendan to try to get a deal done that was just going to be a blip on the radar, nothing big. And it was only for roster needs. You know, Dansby Swanson has been definitely performing much, you know, to a much more valuable performance than uh, Snell has. And I'm, I don't even really like Blake Snell, but I do like the potential upside that he has at times. And I want to add more pitching depth. And I have a good bit of guys on my roster that have shortstop eligibility. So I saw uh, saw ability to make a move with him and I did. Yeah, this trade kind of reminds me of a little bit more of a glamorous version of the trade that Mike and I made at the beginning of the season where I gave up Elvis Andrews. He gave up uh, Andrew Benintendi. It ended up that both of those guys ended up getting dropped. This is I don't necessarily think that either of these guys are doomed to get dropped, but Blake Snell has, for the large part of the last two to three years, been very average, not a difference-making asset. I will say on his behalf that he really turned it on in the fantasy playoffs last year. He became a very, he basically became Mike's ace of his team. That kind of Mike was able to ride to the championship last year. So there's that potential. He was an AL Cy Young winner back in 2018 with the Rays. Dansby Swanson, he's in a great lineup. He is known for being one of the streakiest hitters in baseball. So I would say very likely this trade doesn't amount to much. But I do like the potential uh, of both players when they're on, right? So the second trade, it's a big one. Jordan gave up Joe Musgrove, Ramber Valdez, and Brian Reynolds. Brendan gave up Mookie Betts, Marcus Lynn Betts, if any of you guys were not aware of his name, and Jordan Montgomery. Nick, you and I had a little bit of conversation about this move when we saw it go through. I'll kind of summarize what we thought then. You can tell me if you still feel the same way. So obviously Mookie Betts is kind of the big prize of this trade. The big prize of really any player that was being sold across all of the selling teams, right? But Jake and I also touched on last week's episode that Joe Musgrove is one of the better, if not one of the best keepers in the league. And so I think for Jordan's team, who kind of had... It's starting to look a little bit better now with Shane Bieber rounding into form. Robbie Ray had a great performance today, but I think what we would have considered a high-risk, high-reward pitching staff before this trade, now he's giving up his best pitcher, his most consistent pitcher in Joe Musgrove, and Framber Valdez, who's been a stud this year, plus Brian Reynolds, who I know is having a crap year, but still very discounted to get you know the second-best hitter in baseball, And Jordan Montgomery has actually been really good himself this year. But I want to say all in all, this kind of hurts the roster construction of Jordan's team. I don't think that he could kind of afford to give up any stability in his pitching staff, even to get Mookie Betts. And he did that, not only for this year, but for next year too, because Musgrove is a great keeper, and I would call Fran Valdez a pretty good keeper. What are your thoughts on this? No, I think you nailed it. I mean, Musgrove right now, totality has done better point-wise, total point-wise than Mookie. Obviously, Mookie is the more valuable player if you're taking out uh, keeper value. But, um, sorry, I was just like scrolling back to see like where these guys stood in the production standings. I mean, you have Musgrove's a top five SP. You have Valdez as a top 20 SP. Reynolds is starting to turn it around. Um, Montgomery has been doing real well. Betts has been doing, obviously, extremely well. 
So I like, I like what Jordan got, but I think he gave up too much to get it. And he did, uh, and you know, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but I think he did hurt his roster a bit. You know, I, we discussed, I think his team got a little bit weaker from the move, but that might not be the case. It could, uh, could benefit him in the long run. We'll see. I do like Brendan's return getting Musgrove. I like him a lot as a keeper moving forward. So I just kind of repeated a bit more of what you shared that we have a similar opinion. I will say though, that since the trade has happened, Jordan Montgomery had an amazing start yesterday against, I mean, it's the Cubs who don't have the greatest of lineups, but he threw seven scoreless innings, no walks he had five strikeouts to five hits. So essentially had seven clean innings. Um, I wasn't very hot on Jordan Montgomery, but his start yesterday kind of made me take a little bit of a deeper dive into him. And I think that he could be one of the most surprising values at the starting pitcher position this year. So I do think that of the two big name starting pitchers that Jordan gave up, I think he at least recoups his value on one of those guys. So then I guess it comes down to a preference of as a contender, would you rather have Joe Musgrove, like basically a top five, top eight we'll call him starting pitcher or Mookie Betts who we'll call a top three hitter. I mean, it's kind of a tough decision when you factor in the keeper value. I think it makes it even closer. So definitely um, it's a, it's a very big trade. It'll have very big implications that'll last even beyond this season. The next big trade, this is the first one where I jumped in. Brendan gave up Paul Goldschmidt, Clayton Kershaw and Christopher Morrell. And I gave up Jose Altuve, Tanner Houck, and Stephen Kwan. Nick, I'll let you take the lead here. Uh, yeah, I commented uh, to you privately when the deal took place, asking who Brendan was trading for in that deal. And uh, I think you mentioned Altuve, which just made me surprised. What round was he drafted in this year? Fifth round. So he'll be a fourth round keeper with two years of eligibility left. So I, he, I should say next year is one of those two year two years. And did he spend some time like on the injured on the IL list this year? He spent the minimum ten days. I want to say two weeks into the season, he got hurt very early. Because he's been just having, it feels like just like a an okay season. I mean, am I wrong on that? I'm trying to find how he's done like I mean, comparatively to other second basemen. He is he's averaging three point one six points per game. That is good. So he's uh he's number ten, the number ten overall second baseman on the year. Um, yeah, I think his name value uh, is why Brendan made a move for him. I just I think it, in my opinion it was a little bit too much giving up Goldschmidt and Kershaw. Morel Morel's having a really good season as well lately. Um, I mean I can't throw my hands up saying it was a terrible deal, but I think you got better end of it in my opinion. Uh, getting some big difference makers in Goldschmidt and you know what Kershaw brings to the table when he's healthy. Um, and I didn't really see giving up too much apart from Altuve on your side. Of all rostered second basemen or of all second basemen that have, that have played more than a handful of games this year, he is second in points per game behind Mookie Betts. So I think that's probably the truer tell of where he ranks among second basemen. He's about neck and neck with Tommy Edmund on a points per game basis. That's good to bring up, yeah. Um, Jose Altuve was a guy that had not come up in conversations between Brendan and I until basically 10 minutes before this trade had happened. I've been trying to work on a deal with Brendan to get Paul Goldschmidt for 
two days prior to that, and we had discussions about many players from my team. A um, little bit of background. Brendan is a huge fan of Tanner Houck because we've talked about you know, a deal involving Tanner Houck going back to like the second week of the season and probably six times since then. Uh, so there's kind of always been something small brewing there for a while. Uh, I was potentially going to be giving Jesus Lazardo as a big piece to this deal, but once he locked down the Joe Musgrove trade, he kind of shifted his focus to position player keepers because he didn't really have or still doesn't really have too many of those. So that's where Jose Altuve became of interest as a fourth mm-hmm. round, you know, call him a top two or three second base option. And the deal kind of came together pretty quickly after that. Yeah, it just seemed, you mentioned Tanner Houck. I mean, he was drafted around 13 and he's definitely not showing keeper value to be a guy worth keeping. And neither is my man, Stephen Kwan, who I love. He's not going to be a keeper. And so just moving two big pieces with Goldschmidt and Kershaw and then getting an extra guy. I'm sure you don't mind with Morel. Um, just for Altuve, just seemed a bit too much for me. Morel's actually going to be, he's, he's my plan for second base. He, he needs one more appearance at second base to gain yeah. eligibility there. He's doing really well. Yeah, and I, I'll say for last comment on Tanner Houck, he has enough relief appearances at this point that he'll carry relief pitcher eligibility into next year. And I think that... The Red Sox are still a little bit unsettled on who they're going to keep in the rotation long-term between him and Garrett Whitlock. So I'm not saying right now he justifies a keep and it would be the 10th round, but if they decide to move him into the rotation late in the season, he starts to put together the potential that everyone in draft season thought that he could live up to. There's potential there for him to kind of live up to that value, but we'll leave it at that for now. The next trade was... Me giving up Kybert Ruiz, Gabriel Moreno, and Jack Leiter, and Mike giving up Alejandro Kirk. Again, I'll toss it to you, Nick. Yeah, at first when this deal happened, I thought nothing of it until then today I looked deeper into it as I was looking into the trades for discussion for tonight. And I don't really understand the move behind a, why Mike did this since Alejandro Kirk is having himself self such a great year. He's actually, I think, the number two catcher in all of fantasy right now behind Wilson Contreras, and he was drafted in the 22nd round. Cabert Ruiz, you're not going to keep him. He's not doing all that hot this year. Gabriel Moreno is just a prospect name. I know he is drafted later than uh, Alejandro Kirk, I think like round 25 or 26. But Kirk's already proven that he is a valuable asset right now. Um, and I would definitely keep Kirk over Moreno and Jack Leiter, he picked up off waivers and threw in the steal. So moving Kirk for those three, who I guess Moreno would be the name to possibly consider keeping. I I don't think he's going to take Leiter over any of the other guys he has. It just didn't really make sense to me. Um, But again, good move on your part. You're finding value in a wasteland of position of catcher with Kirk really coming on now. Yeah, so I didn't think that I I kind of agreed with you that I hadn't had not anticipated Mike being willing to move Alejandro Kirk because he was drafted in the twenty second round when he originally started selling. Like I brought it up, like oh, you're probably keeping you know like Kirk's off limits, Otani's off limits, O'Neill Cruz is off limits, and he like instantly replied that he was thinking about move. You know, like he would consider moving Kirk, and at the at that time. 
he wasn't really a priority for me. So I just, I guess, held that thought, right? And then I came back over the weekend because I remembered that he said that. And I knew that he drafted Jack Leiter. And, you know, no matter your opinion on Jack Leiter, we all know Mike's opinion, which is that he likes <laughs> he likes Jack Leiter. So I decided to scoop him up after I had already had Moreno in my pocket and just as kind of like a little sweetener to the deal, see if he would go for it, see if I could kind of upgrade my catcher position. And sure enough, he, he agreed to it. So that was kind of the thought process on that one. The last trade of the week, JC getting involved this year. We'd love to see that. <laughs> he gave up Liam Hendricks and Christian Yelich. And in return, I gave up Lance Lynn and Marcel Ozuna. The, I don't want to say the asterisk, but the tidbit that I'll throw in with this trade is that Lance Lynn is actually going to make his season debut on Tuesday. Against the Tigers, too. Yeah. What do you think of this about one? That. I don't have much commentary on it. Uh, I like it for both, uh, both sides. Yeah, I was very excited about this one. This actually might have been the deal that I got most excited about this week. Uh, not because I thought that I was getting some kind of steal or getting some kind of major upgrade. But taking a look at my team, I am definitely not lacking for starting pitching. And so this is, to- this is typically not a deal that I would make you know, all else equal, like if I actually needed starting pitching. But with... You know, Sandy Alcantara, Carlos Carrasco, Logan Webb, Kyle Wright, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Clayton Kershaw, Jesus, a bunch of guys. I thought, okay, I probably don't need all of these guys, nor can I really roster all of them if they're all healthy all at the same time. And my bullpen was already pretty good, of course, with Nasty Nestor, Josh Hader, Jeffrey Springs, who I'm really growing to like a lot, Spencer Strider. But I thought, like, you know, among the... I basically have two set it and forget it every time bullpen options, which are Nasty Nestor and Josh Hader. I thought if I can rotate Springs and Strider in based on their matchups, that would be awesome. But then I would need a third set it and forget it bullpen option to, to just rotate those guys. And sure enough, JC texted me and asked me, like, what do you want for Lance Lynn? I said, I don't know. And he goes, Liam Hendricks and who? So the idea like kind of fell in my lap after I'd already had those thoughts, which was really great. You don't often have that happen, especially with a guy like JC, who doesn't happen to trade super often, although he's starting to change that reputation this year, and I love it. How many trades has he done? Two or three? I think he's done three at this point. He traded traded a pitcher for Alec Bohm. I don't remember who the pitcher was. He then traded for Tyone. That we, that we talked about last, or traded Tyone away on last week's episode to Mike. So two of the three deals, I believe, have been with Mike. And then this past one with me. So he's getting involved. I like it. We're going to continue the trade talk. But this time, not actually trades that have happened. We're going to do mock trades part two. So for each of these trades, Nick, I want you to tell me who says no. And if so, why do they say no? Of course, both sides you could say yes for too. But first trade that I mocked up, uh, it's, it's with one guy that doesn't really ever trade and another guy that seldom trades. Eddie trades away Tommy Edmond and Max Meyer. And in return from Scott, he would get Nolan Arenado, JT Real Muto, and Miles Michaelis. So... Is this a good trade? Or if somebody says no, who would it be and why? 
I said yes for both sides. I like this trade for both sides. I don't even know what round Tommy Edmund or Max Mayer were drafted. I wouldn't 13th say, and 16th. Okay. I would not say Max Mayer has uh, – I would not keep him as of now. He hasn't shown anything to earn that. Uh, but Tommy Edmund, you know I got a soft spot, or a spot in my heart for Tommy Edmund. He's the man. Uh, I would trade for him and keep him if I was selling like he's a guy to consider. And uh, I think Eddie would be getting valuable pieces in return with Arenado. We mentioned him earlier. He's a valuable piece at third base. Real Muto, not doing super hot, but he's a catcher that has upside that uh, I would be happy getting in return if I was in need of catcher. And then Miles Mikolas, I mean, he's not the hottest name, but if you're in need of help at starting pitcher, with which uh, Eddie is, you uh, you have to walk or uh, take him with open arms, you know. So I like it for both both sides. Yeah, I I like this one too. Uh, notably, Eddie has Nick Fortes starting at catcher, which is the backup catcher for the Miami Marlins because his starting catcher Tyler Stevenson broke his thumb and is going to be out for the next two months or so. So even though JT is having a down year, you know he's still better than any waiver wire option out there. Nolan Arenado would easily supplant Cabrian Hayes for Eddie. And then Miles Michaelis would provide some much-needed help to Eddie's starting pitching rotation, which currently boasts Luis Garcia and Sean Manaya, who are actually good. But then after that, it's David Peterson, Cal Quantrill, Brady Singer. He has Herman Marquez down there. But then after that, it's pretty much all injured options. Steven Matz, Max Scherzer, Eduardo Rodriguez. So that that team is just screaming for some starting pitching help. <laughs> and yeah. you already spoke to Tommy Edmonds keeper eligibility. I have a pretty good indication that Eddie is not going to make aggressive trades where he trades away his keepers to actually add to his team and go for it just based on what his track record is as a fantasy baseball manager. But I think that this would be a very good and sensible move for Eddie if he like if he would like to compete in the playoffs this year. Second mock trade. This is someone who doesn't ever trade. <laughs> it's actually very similar return to the last deal, but it would be Courtney giving up Logan Gilbert and Ian Happ and getting from Scott, Nolan Arenado, Miles Michaelis, and Ryan Presley. Nick, you like this trade, or if someone says no, who is it and why? I said yes again for both sides. I would like getting Logan Gilbert if I were Scott. And the pieces that Courtney would be getting, I think, helps her team more than having Gilbert and Hap. I don't, I don't know if it's a trade that Courtney needs to make, but I will add I think she does need to make some moves if she wants to be in contention for trying to win, I guess, a what, what would it be, her third championship? Yes. Yeah, I think she definitely needs to make moves. I know he said that last year <clears throat> about her team that she started off doing really well, uh, especially with her offense. And I think it's a similar story this year. Offense is doing really well. I mean, her team's pretty good. I'm not going to knock her team. Uh, I'm not saying she has to do a major shakeup, but I do think she has to consider making some moves to make those micro improvements that just stack on each other. But I guess for her, she's not going to make many moves to make those micro improvements. So maybe just one bigger move to uh, to at least get like a uh, a big factor, you know, big game changer and uh, 
third baseman. I, I, my, my screen went off for a moment. Nolan Arenado. That's who I was trying to find. I think that would really help our team having a game changer at third base. Yeah, and I'm actually going to go back to the last trade for a second because one point that I forgot to make is that Tommy Edmond is Eddie's current starting shortstop. He could easily slide Jake Cronenworth up to the shortstop position who is having not a great year himself, but over the past 30 days, he's actually averaging 2.7 points, so a very viable option to replace Tommy Edmond. That actually is going to lead me into why I think that, yes, this second trade should happen between Courtney and Scott because if you're trading away Logan Gilbert, who would be a 14th round keeper next year with two years of eligibility remaining, if you're Scott, uh, not only that, but you're actually getting Ian Happ, who not having you know an amazing season, but 2.66 points, he's trending up lately. He was drafted in the very last round, so he'd be a 21st round keeper next year. With currently has four positional el- four positions of eligibility, only poised to carry one position so far into next year because he's made 53 appearances in left field. Nonetheless, you're getting a, you know, a shirt fire keeper in Logan Gilbert, a potential keeper. We'll see how it plays out with Ian Happ. But from Courtney's standpoint, you're upgrading your third, your third base position, which is currently Justin Turner getting Nolan Arenado. You're replacing Logan Gilbert with Miles Michaelis, who, you know, I don't know if he's going to sustain his success all season long, but he is certainly a, a very worthy replacement for Logan Gilbert right now. And Courtney's bullpen is kind of the shakiest area of her team. She has Michael Lorenzen, who's been good all year, but aside from him, you have Will Crow, Corey Knabel, Tanner Rainey, Ian Kennedy, Ryan Tapera. She could stand to upgrade in her bullpen big time. And Ryan Presley, we talked about, Jake and I talked about on last week's episode, he's probably at the back of the second tier of relievers of of true relievers i guess we would say closers so i think that this is a sensible move for both sides getting into the third trade and this might be where we start to disagree i guess we'll see but it would be jc continuing the action by giving up alec manoa and salvador perez and in return getting from sam corbin burns I'm going to lead us off this time, Nick. I think that this trade would be a no-go. I think Sam would say no, because I think that he would expect not just one, but probably two more big-time pieces to let go of Corbin Burns. Now, whether that is right or wrong, wrong. I, I can't say, but I don't think that Corbin Burns is a player that Sam would trade unless he is literally getting somebody's entire team. Like he basically needs the crystal ball that says Sam is going to win a championship if he makes this trade, giving up Corbin Burns. So that being said, this trade would not happen. Sam would say no, but I'd be curious to hear you speak to JC's side of this and whether this would be a good move for him also, whether it would indicate that he is potentially selling or should sell, I kind of mocked up this trade before I realized that he was going to go 2-0 and this week, Jake going 0-2, him jumping into the top three. But I'm going to pass the floor over to you, Nick. Yeah, uh, taking in recent results, it makes it hard to say yes. Uh, my initial reaction was I kind of like this trade, partially because I would feel a bit uneasy if I were on both sides of the deal, just because... JC getting just burns. I mean, yes, he has some of the best keeper value. So you have to be really excited for that. 
but Salvador Perez not having a great year, but he is a league winner type of player when he turns it on, especially being at that catcher position. So giving up him as well as a guy like Alec Manoa, who's been pitching incredible this year, I would be uneasy if I were in JC's position to give those two up for Burns because it would kind of feel like a seller's move. He would be hurting his team this year uh, or, or to compete and uh, for a championship this year and making that move. Whereas Sam, yeah, he probably should expect maybe a bit more. Um, I'm not sure how. Like if Salvador Perez was performing like he did last year, I think you and Manoa is performing how he is now. I think this trade for sure makes sense for Sam. Um, but he, what makes it questionable is like, is Perez going to return that value that you know he can possibly do similar to last year of just returning back to that number one overall catcher, which I'm not sure if he is, but he has that potential. So I like the potential of this trade. I think maybe there needs to be a few more pieces added to it for it to take place. Um, so I guess that's where I am. I guess it's a no for me, but it's a potential, but I, yeah, I don't foresee Sam moving Corbin Burns um, partly because Corbin Burns is really good. He's a great keeper. And I think Sam's a bit more stubborn with those type of guys than uh, someone like myself. Yeah. The last thing I'll add and not necessarily to change your mind or anyone else's mind, but Alec Manoa is actually outperforming Corbin Burns straight up this year. He is the number five overall starting pitcher. Corbin Burns is the number seven overall starting pitcher. Salvador Perez, like you mentioned, he's having a down year, but if he does bounce back, he actually himself has keeper value. He was kept in the 11th round by JC this year. He could be kept in the eighth round next year to Corbin That's Burns. That's a really good point. Yeah. Being, in, being a 10th round keeper. And even... This kind of depends on your philosophy. Some people don't like to take arms with their first two picks, but Alec Manoa could be a second-round keeper next year, just like Shane McClanahan. So it could be a trade where all three players involved have keeper value. Of course, Corbin Burns has the the most keeper value, but I think that was the interesting part of mocking this one up is, you know, from a strict redraft perspective, you could see this going through, but add in the fact that all three guys have keeper eligibility – you know, depending yeah, that's on your a really tastes. Good point. Um, and going back to the keeper uh, pool draft, what do we call that? The, exp- the keeper expansion, expansion draft. draft. Entering that, I remember you and I were talking, and I believe Perez was my number one was guy on my, my board. Too. Yeah, he was my number one with Will Smith close behind, just getting just two guys you know who are going to perform. I, and that's ironic saying that because per- Perez hasn't, but I think he's going to. I think he's going to get back to being a very reliable catcher, but yeah, he was my number one keeper in that keeper expansion draft. So, and with him uh, keeping that, uh, I thought maybe that was, this was his last year be, being able to be kept, but him being able to be kept for another year. Yeah. That's, that makes us deal even more enticing. The funny thing about Salvador Perez having a down year is he had a stint on the injured list with a thumb sprain and he's having a down year, even when he's been healthy. But if he has just one 14-point game, so say like two home runs, he'll jump up to catcher number six overall and be two points behind JT Real Muto for a top five catcher. Where's he at now? He's catcher number 10, so he's still you know a starting catcher in our league. I think he's, he's in the top five by the end of the month, easily. Yeah. That's my opinion. I mean, he's, like I said, he's basically one big game away from jumping into the top five already. Yeah, it's going to happen. 
The fourth trade, the fourth mock trade, is Jordan giving up Freddie Freeman and Courtney giving up Zach Wheeler. So a little bit of context. This one I mocked up after we saw Jordan give up Musgrove and Valdez to basically just getting, uh, of course he gets bets, but just getting Jordan Montgomery in return. So obviously taking a step backward for his rotation. Uh, But also, Zach Wheeler has one more year of keeper eligibility remaining, whereas Freddie Freeman would not because he was drafted in the first round. I thought that this was a pretty interesting one. What do you think of this? Would this go through? If not, who says no and why? I say no. I think Courtney says no. I think her offense is good enough without Freddie and Wheeler. Uh, I know not production yet, but I believe he is her best pitcher and he does have some keeper value. And he's starting to really put, you know, turn it on. Uh, I would want more in return if I was selling Wheeler, if I were her, than just Freddie Freeman, in my opinion. So far, it's been Gilbert who's been her best. I actually considered, instead of, uh, instead of Zach Wheeler, putting Frankie Montas or Freddie Freeman straight up here. But I, I personally consider Frankie Montas to be more valuable between him and Zach Wheeler because he actually still has two years of eligibility remaining after this season to Wheeler's one and at a multi-round later discount. But does that would that change your opinion at all? Do you think Frankie Montas would be more sensible in this trade, or do you think neither would fly? I would say neither. I I really like Frankie Montas. Again, I would want two big pieces if I had uh, if I was selling one of my top pitchers, who also happens to be one of the top fantasy pitchers overall. Yeah, I I think that if this trade were to be denied, Courtney would definitely be the one saying no. For the reasons that you just laid out. I think, uh, interestingly enough, I think Jordan actually would potentially be hesitant to make this deal too. I couldn't tell you why, but I think Jordan is a big uh, like offensive anchor style manager. I would definitely sell Freddie Freeman for Zach Wheeler. You can I, find yeah, relevant production in the first base uh, position off waiver wires, just playing a waiver wire. Not Freddie Freeman type production, but good enough Jordan you can let us know in the chat if you're listening how close this would be for you if you know if you would instant accept this if it were in your inbox if you'd be nervous to accept it if you would say no because I don't think we're going to hear from Courtney (laughs) (laughs) the last mock trade of the week Jerwin would be giving up Dalton Varsho and Eric Lauer Sam would be sending back Dylan Cease this was probably the most random trade that I mocked up, but I thought it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on Nick. Yeah, it is interesting because I know Dal- Dalton Varsho is doing well. Uh, for Number three catcher. catcher. Yeah, he still, to me, is not exciting. Not enough. Uh, and I know Eric Lauer has done well, but you know, I mentioned to you off air that I've just heard others mention that his underlying metrics – they're just starting to show reasons to worry that he's not going to be able to keep up the production that he has so far. And it's, I think it's starting to show, didn't he have a uh, bad, a rough outing recently? Very bad yesterday. Yeah. And when I saw that, I instantly thought of uh, whatever podcast I was listening to. So I would have questions about Lauer and Dylan Cease. I like a lot to keep for the future. So 
it's interesting because Sam's definitely in need of catcher and Lauer is a relevant starting pitcher. Just probably not one I'd want to pair with Varsho to send Cease away, in my opinion. So if I were Sam, I would say no. I agree with you. I think it would be I think it would get some thought from Sam because Eric Lauer was taken in the twenty sixth round. So he has the maximum amount of keeper eligibility. But I don't think that Dylan Cease's upside and Eric Lauer's upside are on the same planet. Now, Sam is currently rostering and starting Gary Sanchez at catcher. So that's why I mocked up two separate trades where Sam gets a catcher here this week. But again, as you said, and as I agreed with, I think that Dylan Cease's upside is too good to give up for two players who have been good, but I don't personally have a ton of conviction in, or I guess from, so if I were if I were Sam, I would say no, and I would probably counter by asking for a guy like, well, if he were healthy, he tweaked his ankle today, but Michael Kopech or Tariq Skubal is probably a little bit too lofty. But yeah, probably like a probably a Michael Kopech I'd rather have than an Eric Lauer. But that is your mock trade segment. Let's get into the matchup preview. Nick, what is your thing to watch for here in week ten? My thing to watch for, I'd be surprised if you had something different. Maybe you do because you don't want to talk about it as much. But my thing to watch for is the battle between the two trash-talking, no lack of confidence-walking injuries, brothers, you and I. Mono y mano. We finally meet this year. Yeah, Who's going to win? <laughs> sim- similar. My thing to watch for is a potential championship preview in a new era of a same-name championship dynasty run. Of course, I'm referring to the matchup between the Freedom All-Stars and Demons in the infield. Everyone remembers that Jake and Courtney went back-to-back-to-back-to-back as champions for the the first four years of the Keeper format. But it's been the Andrews family, not the Deemer family, who has had representation in the championship round each of the last two years with Nick kicking off this potential run by bringing home title number one last season. That's what I'm looking out for this week's matchup, potentially being a little bit of a preview into that. We'll have to revisit that in four years. (laughs) (laughs) Matchup predictions. I improved my record to 15 and 21. Jake starting to look better with a 23 and 19 record. Nick, we'll see if you can keep up the impeccable guest record of 24 and 12. We're going to kick it off with the matchup that we both just said we're looking out for freedom. All stars versus demons in the infield. I know who you're going to pick. I know who I'm going to pick. You're picking your team. Just move on. Yeah. (laughs) I'm picking my team. Nick's picking his team. Second matchup of the week, team C Deemer versus weak pullout hitter. This is an interesting matchup. Sam's been kind of on the downward uh, trend here. Courtney has been on the upslope. I'm taking Courtney's team. Who do you have? This is one of a few matchups. I actually pulled up uh, what was projected just to look at who was starting who because I thought it was going to be pretty close, and I did end up picking Courtney as well. Third matchup of the week, the Walk Institute of Research versus Ass in the Jackpot. Who do you have between Jordan and Brendan? I have the Walk Institute of Research, Jordan. I also have the Dean walking away. He did his research. 
fourth matchup of the week, Gone Forever versus the NFTs, Eddie versus JC. I have uh, the guy that came into the, the year with a reputation not to trade, but has actually changed that reputation to the guy that came into the year with a reputation not to trade and has done nothing to change that reputation. I'm JC <laughs> one in this. What you got? I, uh, this is my one upset. I don't really pick upsets often, but this is the one I pick, I chose. I picked Eddie here, gone forever. Interesting. That, I feel like you're, that's going to come back to bite me because the guests have been right way more than I have all season. The fifth matchup, Jake's fantasy baseball team versus team positivity. Who do you have in this one? You know, Jerwin's team got really hot this week and then it cooled off really fast towards the end of the week. I don't think he's going to get hot again, not to the level he did this past week, so I'm taking Jake here. I also have Jake winning this matchup. In the last matchup of the week, two teams that uh, we've called sellers, so I don't know necessarily that you could call one or the other pick an upset. Big Money Mike versus Team No Name, Scott versus Mike. I have Scott winning this matchup. What about you? So do I. There you have it. So we just differ on JC and Eddie's matchup be interested to see how that one plays out for the around the league portion of the podcast Jake we also defer to... i'm sorry to interrupt you we defer oh, on our matchup oh that's true i think that one was a given yeah i was excluding that one because that one's a given you know you do have some big studs with a two-star week i think three of them yeah i have nasty nester i have sandy alcantara and i'm oh, not man. sure who the last one was i think the other one was a big hitter too makes me a little worried but when I walk in that locker room, no fear, baby. I motivate those guys. We're coming yeah. to play. It's not Logan Webb. It's not Kyle Wright who pitched today. Nick Pavetta. I don't know that he's a big heavy hitter, but he's been doing really well this season. Yeah. This year's Robbie on. Ray, as I, as I texted you way <laughs> early in the season. I'm a Pavetta fan. For the Around the League portion of the podcast, Jake passed along this league history fact of the week. Jerwin asked for it, and here it is. Assuming that he thought that the matchup between him and Nick had a shot at the record or the top-scoring matchup of all time, it actually didn't even come close. The current record holders for highest-scoring matchup in league history are Sam and Brendan. In 2017, Sam defeated Brendan by a score of 434.2 to 338.4. As a matter of fact, Jerwin versus Nick didn't even crack the top five highest-scoring matchups, matchups of all time making this a terrible humble brag by Jerry. There you have it. <laughs> he ended up losing by a lot, too. He really slowed down his past few days. News and notes, Nick. This has been a, a quicker episode than I expected, but that's okay. Dave Roberts said that Walker Bueller's MRI revealed a strain in his elbow. While there's no surgery planned right now, he's going to rest and rehab it. He is not going to pick up a baseball for six to eight weeks, so he's going to miss significant significant time. Though Dave Roberts did Dave Roberts did not rule out a return this season. The common idea for starting pitchers building back up is that it takes as much time to build up as it you know as the time that you took off from throwing. So if all goes well for Walker Bueller, it could be looking like a September return. How concerned are you about the Dodgers misplaying this, Nick? You mean misplaying it like they you think they might potentially bring him back sooner or you think they're being too cautious? I think 
here's what I think could happen. This is this is very hypothetical, but they bring him back at the end of the season, and he's able to pitch say fifty to sixty innings, including into next year, before another elbow issue crops up. I think that likely puts us in like let's say May of next year. And if another elbow issue crops up, I think that he's clearly going to need Tommy John surgery at that point, which would put him out in this hypothetical scenario until summer of 2024. Obviously, that is a huge jump to conclusions, but that's the kind of thought process that would have me extremely nervous to have any kind of long-term exposure to Walker Bueller right now. Yeah, and I can see that happening now that you laid out that scenario because if they're in contention for competing deep into the playoffs, they're going to want some more help at starting pitching since right now. I mean, Kershaw's iffy on and off with injuries. Now Bueller. Urias has been up and down with being a steady horse, um, though he had a really good outing today. Bauer's not I mean, coming back. <laughs> yeah, Bauer's not coming back. I mean, their dude on the mound leading, leading their staff is uh, Anderson. Yeah, Tyler Anderson. So, yeah, they, they're going to need some more help if they're going to want to make a title run again. My hot take, it's not even really that hot of a take, is that they're going to trade for both Frankie Montas and Tyler Malley. Ooh. Yeah, I definitely think they're going to get one. That's uh, interesting, trying to get both. Well, I mean, we saw them trade for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner last year. Both yeah. on the same – they came from the same team, so probably a little bit – I don't want to call it easier, but – more convenient to get that done, but we've, you know, they traded for Manny Machado a couple years ago. They traded for Mookie Betts. Dodgers are not afraid to trade for super high end players. Yeah, it would be nice to be a fan of an organization that has money to spend to win championships. Yeah, definitely. Eloy Jimenez felt discomfort running while playing at Charlotte on a rehab assignment. So he's taking off, or he's he's been taken off of the injury rehab assignment for a short time. They're going to sit him down for five days with the hope of him restarting early next week. Nick, are we done with Eloy Jimenez and fantasy for the foreseeable future as a difference-making asset? As a difference-making asset, yes. I, I'm completely out on that uh, thought. I don't think he's a big difference-maker. He's, he's already a big K guy. Like, Doesn't he strike out a lot? He strikes out quite a bit. In fairness, I have never really been in on Eloy Jimenez. I think I was just because Eddie and I drafted him in the Dynasty startup last year. And so I was just a fan, um, him being on our team, even though we, uh, we traded him pretty quick. I'm glad we did. But yeah, to buy into the thought that he's going to be a difference maker on a team, I need to see it happen. Like I need to see it happen for a while and him stay healthy. So I'm not bought into Eloy in any way, being an impactful player. This might be the most interesting piece of news that we talk about tonight, which is Brewers all-star pitcher Brandon Woodruff confirmed that he is experiencing symptoms of Raynaud's syndrome, which is numbness and cold feeling in the fingers. And it's in the middle three fingers of his throwing hand. He is not going to come off the IL when he was first, or I guess he was first eligible to come off today. He's not coming off the injured list right now. The ankle sprain that originally landed him on the injured list is fully healed. Um, There's been some speculation on Twitter that these Raynaud's syndrome symptoms could be an extension of thoracic outlet syndrome, which Ooh. we've seen guys like Matt Harvey, his career got absolutely derailed by getting surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome. 
I believe Steven Strasberg might have had surgery for, for TOS. Yep. I believe Chris Archer had surgery for TOS. So there's just a, a track record of this being a very big blow to previously effective pitchers. Now, this is just speculation. And I've read that this only happens like anywhere from 1% to 20% of the time is, is the underlying issue, thoracic outlet syndrome, when Raynaud's syndrome symptoms pop up. So all that being said, how concerning is this for you, for Brandon Woodruff, this season and long-term on a scale of 1 to 10 with kind of the limited information and the speculation that you've seen so far? Uh, that's tough. I think this year I'd be, I don't know. I'd be pretty worried in general, I guess, for both this year and for the foreseeable future. Uh, I guess more like a seven or eight, but I feel like that might be too high because it's, you can't, there's no definitive, you know, uh, diagnosis with it. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't know if he has, was it TOC? TOS, thoracic outlet syndrome. Thoracic outlet syndrome. Um, so I can't say that it's, it should be that high of a worry yet, but it would definitely make me worried if I were an owner of him, which ironically, you just made a big trade for him in Dynasty. I did. Well, I can share that in a second. I've seen two uh, medical, medically licensed people in the fantasy industry with two completely different takes on it. One of them is uh, he's kind of notorious for being... like A lot of people hate him in the fantasy community. I want to say his name's like jesse roshi or morsi or something like that he's a he's an md in the fantasy community he said that he believes that this is an extension of thoracic outlet syndrome the other quote that i've read and i'll actually read it off here it's from nick savale who's a doctor of physical therapy that works for fan tracks he's actually also the brother of aaron savale the pitcher for the cleveland guardians yeah so kind of interesting his quote here was in most cases, it's pretty mild, talking about Raynaud's syndrome, but it's something that people experience chronically. It often involves hands, nose, and eyes getting cold and occasionally numb. I could imagine him getting the occasional start pushed back every once in a while, but definitely not injured list stints every time it flares up. This does not indicate an eventual need for surgery. Literally millions of people experience Raynaud's with similar symptoms, and probably other MLB pitchers do not lower his stock because of this. That's the side that I err on. I think that it, there maybe it's a little bit more gray between those two takes that I, I mentioned the first one from the other uh, medical guy. I mentioned this one from Aaron Savale's brother, who's a medical guy in the fantasy industry. The reality is it's probably somewhere in the middle, but I tend to err on this side. The trade that I actually made today which I'll read off if any of you care to know. It was in a 16-team Dynasty Points League that has very similar scoring settings to this league that we play in here in the Keeper League. Who'd you make that trade with? Big Money Mike. (laughs) I traded away Will Smith, the catcher from the Dodgers, Daniel Bard, the closer for the Rockies, Cole Irvin, the starting pitcher for the Athletics, and then two big-time teenage prospects, Khalil Watson, shortstop for the Marlins, and Jason Dominguez, I'm sure you've heard of him, the Martian outfield prospect from the Yankees. And in return, I got from Mike Brandon Woodruff and Kybert Ruiz. So that kind of tells you, I guess, where I'm at with the news. I saw it as a buying opportunity, but I wouldn't say that I 
absolutely stole him away. Like this, I don't think that this trade raises a ton of eyebrows, even if Brandon Woodruff is perfectly healthy. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Definitely, it will be interesting. I have a lot of exposure to Brandon Woodruff. I now own him in both dynasty leagues that I play in. I'm hoping for the best, but this could totally backfire on me. Last few pieces of very minor news. Casey Mize is going to have Tommy John surgery, uh, which A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Tigers, came out and shared. Royce Lewis, shortstop prospect for the Minnesota Twins, is now out for the season again with a partially torn ACL. It's the same knee that he tore the ACL for two seasons ago. He's expected to miss up to 12 months. And Mike Clevenger was placed on the COVID-19 injured list. At what point are we just going to say he's just a name for catching COVID, Nick? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That's what Mike said in our group chat. Is there anything to note with these last three bits of news? No, I was really disappointed to see uh, Royce Lewis go down. Uh, I know he wasn't on my roster when it happened, but I did pick him up and drop him a few times. Um, I know he had a lot of prospect name value to him. A lot of folks were really getting high on him. Uh, and he was showing that he could produce at the MLB level when he was getting his shot early on. And I kind of want to see it continue, even though I think he ended up on Jerowin's roster when he got hurt, or I guess uh, when the news came out about the partially torn ACL. So that, of all things, I, was, I wasn't bummed about, but it just stunk to see. Casey Mize, whatever. Clevenger, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. So next week, we have Jake and I back just like normal. After that, I'm going to be off for two weeks. The, the week of the 27th and the 28th, so the last week of this month, we have Triple J, Jake, plus the Jordan Jerwin Power Hour. That should be a fun episode. Week 14, which is the first week of July, we still need somebody. We're still looking for somebody to sign up to host with Jake. So if you guys are interested, We'd love to have uh, new voices on the podcast. I know Eddie hasn't come on the baseball podcast yet. Scott has not come on the baseball podcast yet. Courtney has not come on. We'd love to have any one of those three on, but of course, you know, we're always welcoming our recurring voices here. Yeah, I think those three should get on the podcast some point. Yeah, I'd like to see Jake mentioned maybe having Courtney come on and do like a, a medical segment, but I'd be very curious to hear Courtney's baseball mind or an entire episode's worth of content. I, I, I would personally love listening to that. So we'll, we'll be on the hunt for some, some sign-up guest hosts over the next month and a half. Because even actually during the All-Star Break extended matchup, it's me and To Be Determined. So I'm looking for a co-host in late July. So Maybe I'll be... uh, at some point. I mean, I'm not saying that I need to be on the podcast again. This is my second time, I believe. But like you and... Mike and I get together again like we did at one point last year and do it all in person together. See if Mike's available during that time. Yeah, that could be a fun episode for the for the all-star break. Be a perfect time actually to get together. Yeah. But thanks for coming on, Nick. As always, you were a great guest host. Very well spoken, well prepared. <laughs> well I, I know spoken, I don't know. I'm pretty tired today. It's mumbling over my words and uh, my screen went went down at one point. But yeah, it was fun coming back on. I know when you and I get together to host that it's Sam's favorite uh, hosting duo. So hopefully you enjoyed the episode, Sam. 
But as always, thanks again for, for coming on into all of our guest hosts throughout the season. Everybody has been really great. We always appreciate having new voices. It makes it fun for us, keeps things fresh and exciting. Hopefully it's fun for all of you guys to participate in. But until next week, I'm Nate Endries. Nick, thanks again for coming on. We'll catch you guys on week 12, or sorry, episode 12. Yert. <laughs>